Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. Welcome back to Just Schools. I rarely have the chance to have a longtime friend on, but today we have Aaron Bond who will be with us today. And he is one of the best storytellers I know and one of the most hospitable human beings I've met in that he welcomes everyone in in a way that lets them feel seen and heard and known without being judged. He's an amazing educator. I do have to warn you the introductory story. If you do not have a strong stomach or you're not interested in digestive engagement, you may want to fast forward the first three or four minutes. But Aaron starts off with a somewhat embarrassing story and then delves deeply into what it is to truly engage students and think about engagement uh, in a way that makes it clear it's not the same thing as entertainment. So listen to a maturing educator as he thinks through the way his teaching has changed over his career. We are here with Aaron Bond, an outstanding two-decade-plus educator, longtime friend who has done a lot of different things in schools. And so we're super excited to have you in today to talk about student engagement and feedback and a really interesting story that I don't think I've ever heard that you were just teasing me with before we jumped on. So Aaron, welcome in, give us your introduction and uh, let's jump into some digestive engagement. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, John. Yeah, we've been friends for a long time and um, we know a lot about each other, but I (laughs) don't think I've ever shared this with you. So <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm excited. Might as well share with the world while I do this at the same time. So one of my um, early lessons in education uh, involved being caught in the bathroom with my pants down. And oh. that sounds bad, but there's some context to this, which will uh, tie it in. On the end. So <laughs> now that people are hooked, I'm going to tell the story. I had been married, living in Texas, uh, for about two months at this point. And I had a summer job uh, overseeing uh, some lifeguards and um, for the summer. And we, my wife picked me up from work, and we went to eat at a Mexican restaurant. Oh, boy. And yeah, you can probably <laughs> see where this is going. Tex-Mex. Yes. Uh, so we ate, and it was fine. And my wife went to pay for the bill, and I, I went into the bathroom real quick, and it, it was fine. Um, it wasn't a Bucky's, but it was fine. No, it wasn't. Uh, I won't give you the name of the restaurant just for dignity's sake <laughs> that's fine but involves some amazing green sauce <laughs> we don't want to be sued <laughs> so um w- we got to the car and our house is about three miles away okay. and the school was about a mile and a half in between okay. and so we had to drive by the school to get home and so uh pulling out of the mall and went to turn right and my stomach started gurgling oh and uh, I, it felt like someone was like just twisting my intestines. I'm like, okay. I, we're going to have to go home. We can't stop by the store and get groceries. This is going to be a straight home trip. Okay. And so I turn right and we're going down the road and I catch a stoplight and uh, my stomach just tightens up. Okay. And I'm like, I'm not going to make it home. Oh. And so I 
power slide out of this uh, stoplight right into the into the left hand turn lane and i'm going about 85 down this two-lane road <laughs> on the back way to the school and uh fast and furious right i just power slide into the, the front of the school and uh open the front door it was on a saturday night so no one is no one's around Okay, right that's probably good it, it, yes it's very good <laughs> so i'm running down the hallway and i get ready to turn the corner to go to the bathroom and i my body just it can't hold out and oh, no. there's a failure oh no and oh, there's no. multiple failures <laughs> between the hallway and the stall <laughs> oh no and so by the time i get to the stall there is uh digestive engagement <laughs> as you like to call it uh all over the floor my leg my shorts oh and no one's around yeah um so i'm in the bathroom and i'm trying to clean this mess up <sighs> and i go to uh clean out my shorts in the sink and it stops up the sink oh. and so it goes from bad to worse oh. and i'll spare everybody the details but i'm oh. in the bathroom in my t-shirt for about 15 <laughs> minutes before my wife comes in oh. um and i hear her open the, the front door of the school and she with legitimate concern in her voice is like hey babe what's going oh my <laughs> gosh what happened and i just lean around the corner of the bathroom i'm like shut up and get a mop <laughs> and so <laughs> spoken in love there true love direct communication she'd never been more in love with you I'm well sure. <laughs> i think at that point she had some questions about for better or worse and what that meant <laughs> wasn't supposed to be worse this quickly so um Oh, Aaron. You know, I clean up the the bathroom and I mop it. But my critical error and what ties into student engagement with the story is I should have taken my clothes with me. And what I did is I threw them in the trash. Oh, no. And uh, my wife had short running shorts <laughs> and yeah. a towel. So that's what I went home in, uh, leaving the evidence behind in the bathroom. Oh, no. So uh, Monday morning, I'm at school. Uh, during the summer and the vice principal's daughter walks by the bathroom and she's like something died in there and i'm like oh my oh. gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh <laughs> and so um i go in there and i throw it away but i ended up sharing that story with the students uh, uh several months later because my dignity needed some some time yeah, to recover right and and the beauty of that um is i got a, a ton of diapers for their graduation oh, and okay. so planning ahead and helping me out um it it, it paid off oh so. my goodness no that that is not the kind of school story i thought we were going down but uh it, but it is dealing with digestive engagement am it I, is am which I wrong? is a section of just teaching which <laughs> the most probably engaging lesson i ever taught was a simulation of 24 hours of eating and the process that the food goes through and what you end with and so it sounds like your process was a little sped up it wasn't 24 hours it was about 24 minutes That's right uh, but a lifetime of memories and your large intestine was not reabsorbing the water the way it should have and i i don't want to get into the details yes. uh but you know but there's so much to learn from that and once people go through the peristalsis that twisting feeling that you're getting that's driving it through like this is one of the most important processes in life so as we think about that as a form <laughs> of engagement i know you have you're now dean of the humanities at your school you've been a bible teacher for years you've always been one of the more engaging storytellers that i've known but 
driving it from beyond just entertainment value to what Harkness method, and you can talk a little bit about that. We talk about Socratic seminars, Paideia seminars, Harkness seminars. They're all ways to get students engaged, to get feedback, to go deeper in their thinking. So, I know you've gone to Exeter and been trained in that. You Mm -hmm. now have brought that back. So, you pair that with your storytelling, your ability to be hospitable. I think that's one of the things you're best at. You're Mm -hmm. hospitable and welcoming people in and making people feel loved and seen. And you and Kelly both do that really well. But how does that play out in the methods in your classroom? And some of it's that vulnerability of like, hey, look at this disaster that happened to me (laughs) coming out of Tex-Mex. But you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to beginning teachers. You don't lead with your worst bathroom story. But yeah, there's a little bit of uh, trust that needs to be earned before right. you go there. That's but right. And some dignity that you <laughs> might. But, but you know, as if, if we think about Harkness method specifically or other ways you found to engage students, talk a little bit about what you found to be successful in over two decades. Starting with when we both started, we both were not very good at this. Oh, like, this is not a good awful. Novice teachers are not generally very good at asking questions because they're so focused on themselves. It's hard for them to figure out how to engage the kids in the room. So you can start at the beginning or you can jump to where you've been successful, wherever you want to go. I think um, I, I love that you said it's not just about entertaining, it's about right. engagement. I think yeah. when I was younger, I would just stand up in front of the room and en- engage my students. And if they're laughing, I thought they're learning. Yeah. Yep. And um, they were learning something, but I don't know how valuable it was. Right. So I think over the years, marrying that idea of my life experience and what I can learn from that to make me uh, more wise and more loving. And part of that is vulnerability and sharing the good things that God has done and taught me. And then, uh, you know, I think those moments of embarrassment and vulnerability are oftentimes gifts too, yeah. uh, if we're courageous enough to share them with students because they're sitting there and uh, it's that classic, oh, you do that too, right? Yeah. And it creates a connection that um, is really, I think, deep and profound. And you can't mm-hmm. force that. Mm-hmm. It just kind of happens. And so, um, over the years, I've moved more from sharing, and I haven't shared that story in years because I, I want to share it at the right time. Right. Um, what I found really works well for engagement, and I've moved in the last couple of years more to a discussion-based form of learning like we were talking about, is spending time at the table at the beginning of the year and at the beginning of the lesson, just setting the stage for students to get to know one another. Mm-hmm. And so, when I take role, I ask them just random silly questions. You know, would you rather do this or that? Mm-hmm. Um, you think Elon Musk is an evil genius or saving the world? Well, who's going to win the Musk versus Zuckerberg cage match? Oh, I mean, come that's on. That's definitely coming that, up that, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Who's your money on? <laughs> yeah. I, I, it sounds like Zuckerberg's been training in like jujitsu. So, uh, and I think even Musk is kind of given the nod that Zuckerberg's probably got him beat, but he thinks it'll be entertaining. It will so. definitely be entertaining. I'm <laughs> so, looking forward to it. I hope that happens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, I don't know where we were going with yeah. that cage uh, match. Engagement. But, you were talking about how you engage kids with random questions. Yeah, it's just random questions. Uh, getting them to share a little bit, very low um, risk at first. Getting them to laugh together is a really important thing. I do a couple of activities at the beginning of the year, too, that are impossibly hard that they have to work together. And um, it's fun for them to do that and learn about each other. You see the type A personalities. You see the, the students that disengage. And then the key thing in that is to take some time to talk about it. Yeah. You can do the activity and then just move into the lesson, but if you don't take time to talk about it and laugh about it and unpack it for a second, um, I think it's a missed learning opportunity. And so, 
that invitation to be real and authentic at the table in relationship to laugh um, with one another yes. um, is a really important thing to create an environment where healthy, deep conversations can take place. Love that. Love that. Because ultimately, I, you, we were talking earlier and you talked about the point of education isn't just to acquire knowledge, but it's to get to wisdom. Mm. So how do you see your Harkness method, some of the things you're doing now, getting kids closer to wisdom? Yeah, that's a great, great question. I have a lot of kids who come into my class, senior Bible class, and they're like, this is going to be easy. It's not a science class. It's I not a real for, class. For, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. you know, the UC system. But we do uh, have a robust intellectual Bible department. And I tell them right on day one that learning is not about what you know. Uh, that's the beginning point. Right. And so you have to come to class with uh, your experience, with your reading, with your notes, so that you can contribute to this process that I'm going to share with you um, about what it means to grow into a person who can love well. Mm. And I actually think the, the goal of learning is not just to gain wisdom, but it's to gain wisdom so that you can love other people well, mm -hmm. because you're seeing them for who they are. Yeah. And um, that short process of engaging students, I just go over it over and over and over. It begins with um, observing the world around you. What do you see? What are you hearing? What are the data points that are coming to you through your experience? And then we move to understanding. Um, how is your experience and your understanding of this text or this thing that we're talking about connect with what else we're reading in class, what you're talking about in English class. Um, and those are where those conversations begin to unfold and students have those, oh, you too moments. And uh, they're able to see that what they're learning in one area of your life can be transferred to another area. Mm. And as you build kind of that network of understanding and connection, you begin to get a more full perspective of the world around you and how it works and your place in it and where your neighbor's at. And then from that, it's, it's putting what you have come to understand into practice. And so that practice hopefully ends in acts of uh, intentional and thoughtful love. Um, I think being a learner also is holistic, right? We're, we're head and we're heart and we're hands. That's about what we know and what we love and, and how we serve. And so, I found that kind of three-step process of moving from what I see to what I understand to what I put into practice uh, to also connect with what I'm knowing and how I'm learning to love and ultimately how I'm learning to live. Yeah, and so we've had this conversation uh, over the last couple of days about how reality is relational, mm. and you have to be able to do that. And there's research out there, Wiggins and McTighe popularized this, that empathy is the highest form of understanding. And so, understanding someone else's perspective is a really powerful way to love them well. And so, if you go back to the idea that our goal is to reorient our loves around the things that lead to flourishing, you can't flourish by yourself you have to flourish in community. And that's where all these discussion methods, whether it's Harkness or Paideia or uh, Socratic seminars, like they're t designed to value and elevate other perspectives as, as together you pursue truth, but you do it in this way that is enriching because yeah. that, that where you start with, what do you see? What do you experience? What are you bringing to this? That's the powerful part. And it makes it so teachings infinitely interesting. Oh, every day. Right. Yeah, it's new and exciting, and you never know what's coming at you. You have to be comfortable with kids walking out of the room and the, the plane hasn't landed. Mm -hmm. um, but if they walk out excited with more questions and they're talking to one another and they're learning how to listen, um, all those 
soft skills that oftentimes get shortcut in our world is just, um, it's a wonderful side effect of teaching through the discussive method as well. Well, and you want them to, you want them to get to the joyful part, but the part I have a hard time with, cause I want to engineer all the pain out of it is you've also got to be okay with them struggling Yes, and you've got to build that cognitive endurance that our world is currently designed to reduce so that they can keep your attention by not making you have to attend very much. And so I feel like these uh, there's so much of a need on two levels at least for these kinds of engagement and feedback methods. First, you need to develop their ability to think deeply. Second, you need to help them be able to understand others' ideas without fully embracing them. But then pushing back and forth in a civil way, which I feel like that's what you do when you have a hospitable discussion, which I'm sure you're very good at leading, even though I've been able to see you do that with students. So talk a little bit about that. How have you seen success in your classroom that leads to students being able to communicate their ideas better and then doing it in a way that is hospitable? So one of the things I do when students come in is um, after we kind of do the, the get to know you part of the table, um, as I have the students dive into the text, I'm not mm. interested necessarily in directly what their opinion is or what right. they think. I want to see that they've read well. Yeah. And I want them to see that they can develop themes and identify questions that the author is asking. And so I'll have them do this in a variety of ways. Oftentimes, I'll have them just turn to a partner and just like low-key share, what, what's your takeaway? Um, tell me one thing you didn't understand about this. And I'll give them three or four minutes to just in silence. I think that's also an important thing is to give dead space in your class mm. and time to think mm -hmm. and creating um, that perspective where students feel comfortable with their thoughts and the struggle of processing through how am I going to express this? And then they'll share with one another. They'll put their questions on the board. And then, um, you know, if, the questions are generated from where the students are coming from. They're already interested in talking about it. Mm -hmm. And so we will somehow choose a question off of the board. We'll also talk about like, what are the goals for this discussion? Like the skills, do we want to work on listening? Do we want to work on being in the text? Do we want to work on clarifying or using people's names? There's a dignity in knowing mm -hmm. student names. Um, and using them in the discussion. And so personalizing it uh, in that way is really helpful as well. Um, my job really, once the discussion gets going and the students are engaged, is to sit back and just make sure that the discussion uh, is on track. And that can be a fairly large area. As long as the students are in the text, they're asking good questions, they're pushing back uh, against one another, in ways that are respectful, um, I, I think there's learning that's happening. And that's, that's the goal. Being intentional about not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it. And then I always try to leave room at the, at the end of the discussion to kind of debrief. Um, what did we do well? Who did you see do this thing really well? Um, and giving that a warm and cool feedback. And I think that's an important part too for students that are shy. It's not about how much you say, it's about gaining that confidence to say that one thing that grounds the discussion or that one insight that helps someone else understand. Or maybe your question is a question that everybody had, but nobody wanted to ask. And so there's also people that talk too much. <laughs> and that's the hardest part actually for me as a teacher is I want to jump in and just be like, mm -hmm. oh, great point. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. But if that's not where students are at, um, I need to give them that space to explore 
the areas that they're really interested in. Mm -hmm. So silence is something that I was afraid of when I first started teaching. And so we just left that gap in there. I just was like, hey, I'm just going to let Aaron. And he kept talking there because I didn't jump in. And he went deeper into ideas. I think as educators, I've written on this in several books, like that silence is where some of the best thinking is going on in the class. Mm-hmm. Is it's not about you as a mm-hmm. teacher. And when it goes silent, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, what's, what's happening? So you might pull you back to attention. It might let you dig deeper or it might let a student who might end quickly go longer. And what I've loved about Paideia seminars is your job there is to track the conversation. You ask the questions, but then you let it go and you track. And it forces you not to make eye contact with Mm -hmm. students because I'm always affirming students. And what that does is it tacitly indicates that I am the judge of what's right and what is not. Even though I don't want to do that, I can't help but affirm them. And so, by forcing myself to do that, that creates space. And I think that's the difference. And I think in a well-run discussion, it's the difference between order and control. Mm -hmm. And so, order gives parameters. And so you've trained your students and you can't just jump into a great Harkness discussion without training. You can't do it. You, you have to lay out the parameters, the goals and how you reflect on it. And then that builds over time. So in the end, you want order like, hey, here are the parameters where you can interact with this in a respectful way. I've got a follow up question on that that I want to ask you that we haven't talked about yet. But control is what I had when I first started teaching because I feared what would happen if I let go of the control because mm-hmm. I wasn't a sophisticated enough educator yet to just bring order with those parameters. And so that psychological safety that's needed to have those conversations in a hospitable way is there. And there's been a lot of talk about making conversations safe and creating safe spaces in schools, which I'm all for places feeling uh, respectful and caring and, and different perspectives are there. However, I've, I, I've begun to push back on the idea that these conversations are safe because I think for a lot of kids, when they actually go to a vulnerable place, whether it's a cultural issue or it's a, an issue that doesn't feel like maybe they're in the majority, mm-hmm. that conversation is not going to feel safe. And so, when you tell them like, hey, this is safe and this is going to be a safe conversation, will they go to that vulnerable place when the expectation is I'm going to feel safe? Because I don't think it feels safe when we're vulnerable. So, I've gone to saying these need to be respectful spaces mm-hmm. where you're going to rumble on some things, you're going to disagree on things, and it's not going to feel safe. And we need students to put themselves out there. And if the expectation is I'm going to feel safe and then I'm going to share, Mm. they're maybe not going to get there. So I've been trying to clarify, hey, this is safe, but it may not feel that way. And it's safe because it's respectful and we're going to respect the different perspectives that help us get closer to truth. Uh, What do you think about that? How do you you make that hospitable in a way that allows kids to know this is going to be hard and it may not feel safe, but it is because it's respectful. How do you deal with that? Uh, Those students who do push back and aren't in the norm are some of my favorites. Yeah, I know know that about Um, you. I I love those students that are are able to stand and question. I'll I'll just share a story because I think that's the best way to do this. I had a girl this year who is an exchange student, two girls from Italy and Portugal, and they were not believers and they were not excited to be in a Bible class. Their experience with religion was that it was cold and dry and dusty. And they're like, this is stupid. I'm not going to use it in my life. And um, 
I just made a point at our retreat early in the year to kind of meet them and get to know them. Probably about three weeks into school, we were having a discussion. And uh, the girl from Italy piped up and said, I think this is stupid. I don't believe in Christianity. These are the questions I have. And I don't believe what you guys do. And then the Portuguese girl jumped in and said, yeah, some things have happened in my life. My parents were judged and I've been hurt by this and I just don't see the value in it. And as soon as they got done, I could sense the, the hackles kind of go up in the, the rest of the room. And I just said, hey, this is a great learning opportunity and moment that's going to make or break our year. And I just looked at the girls and I said, thank you for being courageous. Thank you for trusting us enough to share your anger and frustration. And you are not alone. There are lots of people who go to a Christian school who have these questions, but they feel like they can't ask them because they already have the label of Christian on them. And you've opened the door for us to talk about things that we need to talk about. And I am so thankful. And so, I have some answers to your questions, and I am looking forward to the conversations we're going to have throughout the year. But what I want right now is for the class, how would you talk to your friends? These are your friends about their questions. And we're going to talk about the issue. We're not going to talk about the person, right? Um, And I want you to listen. And so, they shared, and to varying degrees, it was was good. But I think it's capturing those moments of vulnerability and honoring them. Right. And I'll tell you, that six-period class was one of the best classes Mm -hmm. I've had all year. And the growth that both of those girls had in that class because of how the other students loved them well, Mm -hmm. there were shifts that occurred. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the year, I was able to give them Bibles in their own language. I'm Mm -hmm. still in contact with with them, with questions they have. Um, Some of the friendships that they had at school came out of that class. And so, that's real life. That's real, real learning. It's not this, um, let's learn how to talk in a circle just copying one another, but let's Mm. talk about real things in a real way. All right. Well, let's jump into a lightning round. All right. Uh, Let's do it. phrase or sentence, worst advice you've ever received as an educator? Stay out of the staff lounge. Ah, nice. And the reason is, I mean, a lot of staff lounges can be toxic, Mm -hmm. but I think we're called to places that are dark and places that are difficult. And if you're not in there being joyful and being a light, it's not going to get any better. That's right. That's right. And so, I love stepping in the uh, staff lounge. Our staff lounge is actually a really healthy place where we laugh. Um, you've heard some of the questions we pose to one another that yep. are just thought-provoking and yep. silly and funny. And I think that's um, a moment to really build camaraderie and set culture with the teachers. Mm-hmm. And so, I love being in the staff la- lounge with my friends and teachers because it allows us to to dig in. It's probably good now that you're a dean, too, that you enjoy hanging out with the people you'll be uh, leading alongside. I hope my jokes land the same way. That's it. That's it. <laughs> well, and I will say, I spent four days a week in my science lab with my students doing makeup labs and whatever, but I always made it a priority for at least once a week to get into the workroom because I didn't want to be seen as that standoffish person. So, not only would I not be contributing to it being better, I might increase the toxicity by saying, oh, John's too good to spend time with us and I then lose contact with my colleagues. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can love our students really well and then ignore our colleagues. And so, I think that's a good word from you. Uh, Best advice you either have or have heard? Uh, These are two things I I actually, I think, have 
picked up in this transition. The first one is um, value the process over the content and the performance. Mm. If we can teach students how to learn um, by what they are looking at, how they're understanding, what they're putting into practice, that's the knowledge, understanding, wisdom piece that leads to love. Mm -hmm. But it, you don't just put it in and it's a product. Yeah, it's a process of growth, yeah. and I think that's really helpful. It's very hard in applying to the Christian yeah. life. I mean, sanctification is growing into right relationship mm -hmm. and loving things in the right way, and and that's a process. Yeah. Um, I also think don't do for students what they could do for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I like to overreach sometimes mm -hmm. in helping students, and mm -hmm. I think that that sometimes handicaps them. Yeah, Robin Jackson's got one of the best titles ever: "Never work harder than your students." It's like don't take the work away from them and do it for them because we do that sometimes out of good motivation but with really bad outcomes and my last honest piece of advice yeah. is be careful what you order at a mexican restaurant <laughs> that's awesome uh okay well, final two questions you can take in whatever order you want biggest challenge you see ahead for educators and best hope you have for educators i think some of the biggest challenges resolve around technology in the classroom mm -hmm. um we're so dependent on it in so many ways, and yet I think it it undercuts what we're trying to do. Mm. And so trying to figure out how to do that well, how to create space between our students and their devices so they can think well, um, that for me is a real challenge. Um, and I think my hope is I, students, because of the digital age and the isolation that comes, when you can connect with them on a personal level mm. and you can love them well. Yeah. Uh, students, I, we, I heard this this week, we all love the experience of being experienced. Ah, love that. And um, yeah, I love John Perkins. He's, he's no longer mm -hmm. with us, but he said that justice is hospitality. Mm -hmm. And what that involves is affirming the dignity of the person in front of you. Mm -hmm. And you do that by being present. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I can teach my students to do that with each other, mm -hmm. I think they're on the road uh, to listening well, yeah. to loving well, and to living well. And yeah. for me, that's the goal of education. Yeah, and that Perkins quote that we don't give dignity, we affirm it, mm. that's powerful. It's not my to give, you have it. Yep. It's me just acknowledging and affirming it. That's powerful. Great, great word to end on. And so we went from digestive engagement, engagement to John Perkins with scripture and biblical wisdom woven throughout so aaron that's, that's a good aaron bond. discussion i was gonna say that's a good aaron bond discussion so hey uh thanks for being with us it's uh great to be your friend and great to have you in the field thank you it's amazing i really loved what aaron had to say about the purpose of learning it's really not just about getting understanding or even gaining wisdom it's gaining wisdom to love other people well. And so with what we know about empathy and how important that is and what the world really feels like it needs right now is this kind of education that's holistic, that allows educators to see whole students and students to see other whole human beings in the way that we interact and that we are educated, whether it's through Harkness or Paideia or Socratic seminars or even direct instruction gradual release models. The point of it is to gain wisdom so that we can better understand others and serve them well. So Aaron is one of the best educators I know at doing this, and he welcomes people in and has a gift for understanding them deeply and then being able to connect them with the broader world in the profession that makes all of this possible. Have a great week. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership.